0: all right what's cracking everybody welcome to uh killer conversations so the last episode i did one on forgiveness and um i told you my plans are to interview a couple of lifers that are out here that i know i know a lot i'm in contact with a lot of them and basically it's um scheduling right now the whole covid thing and people working and um, nobody wanting to take that chance to take a day off or whatever um, and, and lose their job. So I decided today I would just talk a little um, and uh, we'll call this one the making of a murderer. So. I I have to say that. My childhood. um I was born into criminality, and the reason why I say that is because uh, my parents were both very young when I was born. And when my parents were together, um, my earliest memories, uh, they were selling dope, they were using drugs, uh, partying, getting high all the time. Um, And it's a trip because my mom had a job at GTE. It's an old telephone company, I guess they don't exist anymore. And my dad worked as, as, on the maintenance crew at a, a big hospital. And so, uh, both of my parents were... Uh, they had good jobs making good money. They were selling coke and weed. But we lived in a f- ran down house that was almost never food. and their priority it seemed like was uh partying and so they would make money just to party they weren't they weren't selling drugs or working the jobs combined with selling drugs to get ahead it was always just to party and um in that situation uh my dad used to beat my mama on a regular basis and uh I was beaten almost every single day, and from a very young age, um, I developed I developed a hatred in my heart. I loved my parents, but I hated them because of the beatings. Um, I would be upset that I would have to go to neighbors' houses to eat. And, you know, there was incidents where the neighbors knew what was going on. Family members knew what was going on. Cops came to the school because the teacher saw bruises all over me, took pictures, and nothing happened. And that right there was the, the, the foundation of my hatred for all authority. And unfortunately for me and, and everyone around me, I developed this belief that uh, no one gave a fuck about me. That I would have to fend for myself and do for myself. And during all that turmoil, I would see gang members in the streets, and I would see how people feared them and people respected them. I mean, even the cops. The cops would roll by and they flip the cops off. Fuck you, motherfucker! Get out of here and all that shit, right? And you know, I look back and I think, you know, a lot of these, these kids that grew up in a normal home and a, 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 a normal environment, you know, they have Superman and Spider-Man and Batman. Those were their heroes. And to me, it was the gang members, like, because I could see them. I could see their strength and the way they, 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 they commanded respect, you know. And again, horrible for everyone else and myself. I made the decision I was probably about seven years old and I said if I'm one of them if I'm one of them gang members I'll have a family I'll be loved I'll be respected and uh, so that led me down that path and unfortunately because of my my uh, issues uh, feeling unloved and unwanted and all that, that 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 drove me to not just be okay with being from the neighborhood. you know, It made me have to strive to impress people and go out of my way to do shit. And so getting into my neighborhood at 13, uh, by 15, I was doing state time. I went into the youth authority and out here in California, the California youth authority, they shut most of them down um, that, that was, that was a tragic experiment, that, that was horrible, because I can tell you that, uh, a lot of the guys that I was in YA with, um, within six months of release, they were, they were either dead or fighting the murder, the majority of them, some got lucky and, and, and got smart and, um, got out of it, man, and, you know, became successful in life, but, um, I fell into the category where June, uh, excuse me, January seventh uh, was it seventh? January fifth of uh, 1993, I paroled from YA, from YTS, and uh, June 27th I killed a man. June 29th I was arrested. Uh, I was charged with special circumstances of lying in wait with the grand jury indictment, meaning I was facing the death penalty or life without. But back to YA, when I went into YA, I got around all these dudes that had this mentality that they were the baddest dudes, right? And I had a chip on my shoulder and I I would fight and I was fighting, I would whoop these dudes, right? You know, everybody takes slumps, you know, but So imagine this kid, this kid that I was, with all these insecurities that I was trying to mask with false bravado and, you know, the neighborhood and this nickname I'm trying to build up and, you know, and I'm beating down dudes that are supposedly bad dudes. And it's reinforcing in my mind, this is what you do. And it was, it was, Every time I did that, when I look back, every time I did that, it was disconnecting me more from humanity. And it was making me more animalistic. And by the time I left the Youth Authority, I knew in my mind, right, doesn't mean that it's true, but when a person believes something, it's true to them. And my truth at the time When I left the youth authority was that I was the baddest motherfucker alive, you know. And I had this fucked up white attitude, smart mouth, get into it with whoever. And uh, so in those five months I was out, you know, I had fun, but I knew I would go back. I knew there was no question I knew that anybody that got in my way I would have no problem shooting them stabbing them with the intention of killing and um I went to a a baptism celebrate the reception I guess after the baptism and uh partying with some of my homeboys and um We actually had, it was a family thing, right? So we had actual, actually had rival neighborhoods in there with us, dudes from rival neighborhoods. And I remember I personally went up to one of the main dudes from our worst enemies, and I told him, hey, this is a family thing, so we're going to respect that. But when that sun goes down, you guys know what time it is. If you stick around, that's on you. And uh, the dude, we knew each other, and he was like, nah, it's all good, I, was like, I, I understand. As soon as it started getting dark, they were all out of there. And uh, I remember the keg belonged to one of the dudes, actually that dude I talked to. And uh, when they went to leave, you know, like on a bully move, I guess, I told him, hey, homie, uh, that beer, that keg is yours, but the beer inside is ours. And so, we, we filled up all the little K-cups and we were filling like grabbing pots and shit. And it was stupid, man. But anyways, we filled all that up and they left and we drank and we drank and we drank. and Somebody told me a story about an incident that happened the night before on the other side of that bridge from where we were. And I'm not going to get into all those details. but. We wound up deciding to go across the bridge to the family's pad to keep partying. And uh, as we went into the apartments, I had stopped to light a cigarette and my homeboys went in. By the time I was done, because I noticed there's a firehouse, fire station next door. And one of the firemen came out and was just staring at me. So I was looking at him like, what's up? He turned around and that's when I walked in the apartments and I noticed a carload of dudes car running full of dudes and I knew I right, these fools are here to put in work so I ran up on the car Before they could see me I looked in there was no guns stuck my head in I Asked them hey you know, what's up? Who you looking for? Where you from? Nothing and They backed out I went in the apartments yelling at my homeboys, the fuck you guys, just walked by that car. They didn't even notice it. Anyways, we came back out, went out to the, the corner and we're kicking it, bullshitting. That same car, uh, it came out of a dead end and stopped right in front of us. And uh, so we knew, oh yeah, these fools really want pedo. They want a problem. So we, we, we rushed the car and they yelled out a rival neighborhood, and they said, "We'll be back." And these dudes were all older. We were The oldest one of the dudes I was with was probably 20, I was 19. And we knew these were all older cats. They yelled out a rival neighborhood, said they'd be back. OK. Now I'm knowing at that time my neighborhood was the most violent in our area. And I'm knowing if they come back, they ain't coming back here. They're going to go to another part of the neighborhood. But dudes dudes uh, that I was right there with were like, nah, they're my older fools, man. They'll be back. Anyway, so we went, got some straps, got some guns, came back. And about 45 minutes later, them dudes actually try to walk up on us on foot and, uh, I've never really gotten into all this detail, but for the podcast, I will. Um, We chased that whole crew out to the corner. And when we got to the corner, I'm looking at them, and it just, none of it made sense. And uh, my homeboys were there, basically had them surrounded, well, walled off on one side, they were standing there nobody was talking and and so i i started talking and i asked them who they were and where they were from they didn't answer i asked them like three more times they didn't answer i asked them if they realized where they were and how serious the situation was nothing i then went the extra mile and explained to him check this out we're celebrating the homeboy's uh, baptism he baptized his son we're chilling right now you guys want a problem go down to the park park in my neighborhood was considered the headquarters at the time so i told him go down to the park there's a gang of motherfuckers waiting for somebody like you right now but us right here we're trying to kick it Remember, we're strapped up and uh, they still never answered. It was weird. And uh, right after I finished saying what I said, I guess one of my homeboys got tired of them not saying nothing and uh, he reached over and slapped one of them. When he slapped that dude, one of their homeboys took a step back Reached in the back of his pants, and I knew I was gonna kill him. As soon as he did that, guns came out. They ran, and I chased them. And the one that reached in his the back of his pants had a Raiders hat on, and I and I wanted him because when he reached back, he said, well, "What's up, then?" and my ego, my ego that was masking all of my insecurities from that young child, needing to be impressive, needing to fit in, needing to be loved, my ego took over in that moment and I said, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker for making me pull this gun out, you're dead. I ran up the block, turned the corner, And I saw them turning into another corner, another like a a carport area, right? So I cut in there. And when I did, I couldn't see the dude with the razor set. I could see dudes jumping a fence. It was a dead end. It was a little housing area. And uh, I couldn't see nobody. And at the last minute, I guess... I guess that man got scared, I came too close to him. I never saw him until he moved. I guess he got spooked and he moved. And when he moved, I shot him right in the back of the head. And it was the weirdest thing because he fell face down, but his legs kept running. And it was making an ugly sound because his legs were basically kicking into the ground and I knew this dude was dead And at the time When I want to make I want to make it clear None of this is to be glorified It was brutal what I did It was uncalled for and unnecessary what I did But I can't take back what I did When I saw him down like that, I looked around at my homeboys, I looked at his homeboys, and I just jogged back into the apartments, got a ride home, and I went to sleep. And I want you guys to think about that. What kind of human being can take another life and go home and sleep well? That's the person that I was. You know, it's the person I'm ashamed of, the old me. I remember being in court, and that man's best friend was testifying. And he said that the man that died didn't want to go with them that night. His son, he had a newborn son that was sick and needed diapers. And they told him, well, look, let's just go over here to the west side and let's just take care of this. And then we'll get whatever you need on the way home. I stopped that man from going home. I stopped him from ever seeing his son again, his wife, his mother, his sisters, and his brother. That was during the era where Gang killings were rampant and thousands of families were being destroyed regularly. But that doesn't make up for the fact that my insecurities and how I chose to mask them led to me victimizing that family, that community. And so That's my story. That's what I did. But it's not who I am. You know I think of I think of that man and his family every day. And I know that they can never forgive me. I said that in the last episode. But I still Move forward in a positive way and have a positive interaction with everybody I meet every single day. I'm not driven by my ego anymore. I'm driven by my need to want to be a positive person and to right my wrongs. And so as I interview other lifers, and they tell their stories, please keep in mind that every one of them, the monster that they were is not the man or the woman that they are now. So with that, I appreciate your time. And uh, those of you that want to comment, you can leave a voice message. And uh, I figured out how to give, send one back to you. and. Let's make this as interactive as possible. Again, thank you for joining Killer Conversations. I'm out.